today's scripture reading is from the book of Micah, chapter 5, verses 2 through 5a. Today we'll be reading from the New International Translation. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, through you are small among clans of Judah, out of you will come me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be anointed, or abandoned, until the time when she who is in labor bears a son. And the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of his name of the Lord of his God. And they will live securely, for his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. I'm Sharon Pastor on the team, and so glad to be with you on this second Sunday in Advent. Thank you, Ethan, for reading the scripture for us this morning. It reminds us that we are in a place of waiting, even as Micah had reminded us so many years ago. We are in this series called Arrival. Now, you all have times where you've looked ahead to an arrival, and we have we do that during Advent and during this season especially. Last week, we heard from Pastor Audie, who reminded us that God, God shows up not in a haphazard, random way, but in a plan. God has a place and a time. He intersects the universe in a way that he has planned for. God made flesh, came to earth in a certain corner of land at a certain time in history. And today we're going to look at that place, that little town of Bethlehem, Bethlehem's promise. You know, place is important. You all live in a place, we're worshiping here in a place, we recognize the place of our birth, right? On your birth certificate, it tells where you were born, the city and the state and perhaps the country. And I was going to do a little survey here, but we have people here who, you born all over the country, born all over the world. The place we're born is very important. And we're forever tied to it. I think it's because that is the really the first place where our humanity kind of expands, right? We're found to be who we are when we're born. We begin to occupy time and space. And so the places of our birth and all places of our journey, they're significant. You know, that's true in the Judaism too, that place is very important. The land that we have, it's like a sacred trust. And so in the biblical view, it's a lot different than our Western view of land. In the Bible, in the Western view, we think of we own land and we purchase property and we inhabit, right? But in the Bible, the land is seen as something that God creates for us to enjoy. A natural environment, it's like the, the space created by God for his creation to flourish, And it's in real places and real time. And so land, cities, towns, all of them, they're marked with purpose. They're marked with importance. The same could be said of indigenous people. The theology of land that they have had for ages. And I talked to one of my clergy friends who... um, who is from an indigenous nation, he, he said it this way, that we believe that the land is a living and sacred trust, stewarded as part of the creator's provision. And so indigenous people never really owned land, they just cared for the land. They stewarded it. They saw themselves as caring for what God had entrusted to them. 
And so today, I just want to tell us who live here and have a church here up on the plateau that we live as guests on the land of the Duwamish and the Coast Salish nations, people who stewarded and cared for this land way before we ever came along. Land is important, and land was important in the story of Jesus as well. We often view it, as I said before, with this 21st century sensibility, right? We rank some places as better than others. We want to be in the best places. Now, you probably know that the city of Sammamish has won some, <clears throat> excuse me, some awards, um, some notoriety for who they are. It was a couple of years ago with an organization called Wallet Hub did a survey of um, cities in the United States, population between 25,000 and 100,000 residents, smaller cities. And they checked all these things like affordability, I can't think affordability would have put us up on the top of the thing, but I guess it did. Affordability, economic health, schools, education, safety, quality of life, all of those things. And Sammamish, we came out as number one. Number one. And we expect sometimes that cities and places that have have a high rank, important people are going to come from this place, right? From the city of Sammamish. But not Bethlehem. Bethlehem would never have made a best city listing in the first century. It was a small, unnoticed little hamlet outside the circles of power and influence. And yet this is where God decides to make himself known to us in human form. The story of Bethlehem, the story of Jesus' arrival, point out this economy of place that Jesus, that God has, and that is that God delights in upsetting what our human expectations are. In fact, he often shows up in unexpected places through unexpected means. That's what was prophesied here in the book of Micah. And if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them them digitally or in print. This is where Micah is in my Bible. You can see it's almost towards the end of the Old Testament. A prophet who spoke to the area of Judah right before their destruction. And the part that Ethan read for us is a beautiful lyrical piece that we've heard put to music perhaps. Um, But in the context of this book of Micah, and even the fifth chapter of Micah, it was a mess. There was turmoil going on in this country. Eventual defeat was going to come to Judah from the hands of the Assyrians. And we might want to just focus on the happy news, like a ruler's going to come from Bethlehem and all these good things are going to happen, but we have to put it in context, the context of a nation that was being attacked and God was judging them. So if you looked at verse 1, which we didn't read this time, but let me read the verse. It's kind of an obscure picture. It says, marshal your troops now, city of troops, which probably was Jerusalem, right, the government, for a siege is laid upon us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. Ooh, a picture of humiliation for the leader of Judah at that time, and eventually a siege where they're going to just have to wait it out as defeat eventually comes to them. But then we come to that verse 2, which we started our reading from. And it says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, but you, 
you're going to be a place where a king, a new ruler comes forth. Now, the word king isn't in this text, but if we know anything about the history of Israel, when we read the word Bethlehem, we know someone else was born in Bethlehem besides Jesus. Anybody know who that was? Who they would have known about in Micah's time? Who was born there? Anybody know? David. David. King David, one of the greatest kings of Israel. And although when he lived in Bethlehem, you might remember the story, he was kind of overlooked. Samuel went to a town and said, I'm going to have you anoint a king for us. And he looked at all of these sons and said, must be this one. It couldn't be that one, the youngest one, the insignificant last one. And yet, David became the king. It's a reminder that Israel's future would not depend on this great human leader from a prominent place, but on God's divine intervention, bringing greatness out of nothing. So, what does Micah say that this promised ruler is going to look like? What kind of king, what kind of person is going to come forth from this obscure little town? Well, this is how he describes it. First of all, this is going to be a ruler on God's behalf. Verse 2 says, out of you, out of you, Bethlehem, will come for me. This is a ruler for God. This is God's show. This is God's plan. And he's going to bring it about. And then further on in verse 2, it says, this is going to be a ruler with origins from before time. That is origins from of old, from ancient times. This is a ruler that actually was existing before time began throughout eternity this ruler was here origins from before time how can a ruler be there who had always lived but that's we know is pointing to jesus and of course this was going to be a shepherd leader not just one who was emphasizing strength and military power but a shepherd who cares for who helps people to live securely in the land that they're in A shepherd leader who provides and loves people. And this isn't going to be just a regional leader either. It's going to be a leader of worldwide greatness. It says it there at the end of verse 4. They will live securely for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. This isn't just going to be somebody for Israel. This is going to be something greater than that. And so, yeah, kind of a funny sound, isn't it? It it, it goes with my sermon that God shows up in unexpected ways. And we'll just pay attention to that. The final verse of that portion of scripture that Ethan read for us is says, And he, this ruler, will be our peace. He will be our peace. This is more than just absence of warfare. This is the word shalom, which means wholeness, fullness, completeness. The kind of tranquility that comes from knowing who you are and whose you are and where you're coming from. This is what God is pointing to in this message. He will be our peace. This ruler, on behalf of God, origins before time, a shepherd leader, worldwide greatness, and one who brings a new kind of peace. Micah's saying this to all of us. He's saying, the ruler's going to come to deliver you from Assyria, yes, but in a new kind of peace, in a new way of connecting. Because God does show up in unexpected places through unexpected means. He actually delights in 
changing and uh, um, upending our expectations of what is important and what is significant. And it's this small town of Bethlehem. Focus is not just on that it was little, because at that time it was a small town, but politically it was just like nothing. It was like well, I hate to say a name in Washington because you might be from there and then you'd be offended. But I was going to say something like, uh, okay, I won't say it. See, that's a, that's a notice to me. Don't even say it out loud, right? But we tend to rank cities, right? We on the west side of the mountains kind of, mm, those, those cities out on the east side of Washington there, you know. But not, this is what Bethlehem was in that day. Uh, not very important. But we're reminded that the promises of God, his promise to keep his covenant, is always going to be certain. Yet we aren't actually, it's always certain how it's going to be fulfilled, how it's going to be worked out. You know, that is truly the story of Christmas, isn't it? We know the story so well. I mean, I I bet I could ask some of the youngest ones here today to tell me about what happened in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. But think of how unexpected and unusual it was. Think of Jesus' birth certificate, which read, Cave cave, Stable, on the outskirts of Bethlehem, Judea. Under, in town because of the forced census of a foreign government. Born to a young couple who had been ostracized because of an unexpected pregnancy. Jesus' birth certificate came in unexpected ways in an unexpected place. But I want you to hear it again, the story from Luke. I'm going to read part of it and invite you to read it with me. Luke went back and looked at this and said, Wow, look what happened. Look what God did to bring about the fulfillment of this prophecy. Luke 2, 1 through 6 says, In those days... Caesar Augustus, now that's an important person, right? That's a person of promise, prominence. He issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. And then we know what happened. Would you read this part with me, beginning in verse 4? So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. While they were there, while they were there, the prophecy of Micah 5 was fulfilled. God entered human humanity's family during this time of imperialism, during this time of being a conquered people. And even in the relative peacefulness of Jesus' birth, we still know that Rome was still controlling the lives of the people. They had to go to be registered. Things weren't smooth and peaceful and wonderful. And we know if we go to the end of the story 33 years later, Rome is still in control. And this time it claims its power over his very life. Not just his registration, but his very life. 
as if Rome could thwart the plans of God. We know that didn't end that way. And yet at this moment of Jesus' birth, we're drawing our attention to this little town, to this backyard cave or stable where completely different kind of reign, a different kind of power, a different kind of peace is ushered in. That is Bethlehem's promise. Bethlehem isn't great because of its power of place or anything with prestige or prominence. We have pictures of it. You may have a manger scene in your home that shows the the stable and the animals there. But it was just, nobody knew it was happening there. At that time, it was in the back. Nobody was aware that God was showing up in a place and changing that place forever. Jesus came just as it was promised into a little town and hardly anyone noticed at first. You know, back in 2016, a group of um, people from area churches, and my husband Ellie and I were a part of this, we took a trip to Palestine and Israel. We visited all the major tourist places. We also sat and l- learned and listened to Palestinian Christians and Jewish leaders about the turmoil that is still there in that portion of the world. But we also got to see the place where many think Jesus was born, in the city of Bethlehem. Now here's some pictures I took of this place, the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. The Nativity Square it is. You see on the right the, the, the church itself. It was built in the 4th century as people thought that might have been the actual place where Jesus' manger was. And you see on the other side a little door. It's called the Door of Humility. Because this basilica that was built around this, this ornate church, can only be entered by a very low door. And it's a very small rectangular entrance to the church. It was created during the Ottoman Empire so that carts couldn't come into the uh, basilica and loot it. But it also was a place where you it forced anybody on horseback to dismount and bow down in humbleness to enter this holy place. It was quite a sight to see. And when we went there, the tourists were, they were swarming there. We had to stand in a long line. I, I could have given a picture of it, but it wasn't a great picture. For a long time, just to move through that basilica, towards down the steps to the area where they think Jesus might have been born. It was ornate in there, mosaics up on the walls, um, big arched walkways. And all along that walkway down to the lower level, there were beautiful paintings. There were candles. There were tapestries. It was gorgeous. And as you went down towards a place where they surmised Jesus might have been placed in a rough feeding trough, this is what you saw. A traditional manger location was, it was opulent. It was decorated. It was full of candles and gold and tapestry. And and you walked down a few little steps and could kneel on that space that might have been the place where Jesus entered human history. 
You see, tourists from around the world come there, and they touch it, and they see the significance of it. Bethlehem is no longer a small, unnoticed city. Bethlehem isn't destination now. But something was interesting about that time we spent in Bethlehem. Because I took a picture of something that caught my attention just across the parking lot from where we were. And this is what it was. It was Bethlehem Starbucks. Right across the street, right in a place that um, was so full of this reminder of God's holy entrance into human history, was an everyday, worldwide sight of a Starbucks. And I think what struck me about this and why I took the picture is because it reminded me, here we had been looking with honor at this place where God had shown up and all the ornate things around it. And then right across the parking lot was an everyday place where God still shows up. Could God be at the Starbucks across the parking lot as much as he was in that place where the manger might have been? Could God show up in the everyday as much in the things that we call holy and set apart? And I wonder if during Advent we miss the presence of the holy. We miss God showing up in everyday places. As Pastor Nancy said, when we do God sightings, we miss it because we're looking for the spectacular place. We're looking for the fancy thing. We're looking for something extraordinary. And God says, I'm showing up. Every day, in the ordinary, in the Starbucks, could God be wanting to show up in your life during this Advent season? Is there some way he wants to show himself to you, maybe not just at church? You know, we think of it in terms of, we get familiar like where God's going to show up, right? He's going to show up on Sunday when we come to church. He's going to show up when we light the Advent candles. He's going to show up when we sit at home and read our devotional. He does show up then. God shows up in these spaces. But God also shows up in the messy, everyday places of our lives. In the times where we don't see what's happening. When it doesn't look so beautiful. Where it isn't even so significant. Or it's unheralded. At a Starbucks. In a homeless encampment. In your school classroom on mass transit, in your workplace and the stresses that are pressing in there, in your home where you might be lonely, God shows up in all the places that we don't always expect him to be, overlooked places. And that what I want to encourage you with in this Advent season. That you're invited to look for Jesus, not just in the fancy places where we've set aside for him to be remembered, but in the ordinary places, in the everyday places of what you're going into this week, whatever your age. God shows up. Jesus is there in unexpected places, and he wants us to wonder at it. That he is so closely connected to our land, our space, our time, that he's going to show up for us. And we want to have eyes wide open to it. Because that's the truth. God shows up in unexpected places through unexpected means. But we have to be ready to receive it. Eyes wide open to be looking for what God is doing.
that is my invitation to you this Advent season, to myself. To not just wait for some, you know, once my house is all decorated and I've done my devotions and everything, then God's going to show up. No, in the middle of whatever you're going through this week, God shows up. In the places that are small, that are ordinary, that are vulnerable, God shows up. You know, the song we sing about Bethlehem says this too, where meek souls will receive him, still the dear Christ enters in. A meek soul is one who is ready to bow through that door and say, I'm going to come with humility and see where God shows up for me. And are you and I prepared to welcome the Holy One in the most ordinary places and then to celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. We're going to go to a time of communion now. And in communion, at the table, we are reminded again that God is there for us. He shows up. Yes, it's a sacred meal, but it's also an ordinary receiving, again, of what God has provided for us. And so before we go to communion, I invite you to pray with me. Oh, Lord, we thank you for the places where you have set us now here in Sammamish or wherever we are as we listen to this this morning. You've put us in a place and you show up in those places, God. We want to be reminded during this Advent season not to just look for you in the extraordinary, in the ornate, but to see the holy in the ordinary places. And so we pray, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin. Enter in. Be born to us today. We thank you for the gift of this reminder of the completeness of your life for us, of sacrifice given, of blood shed so that we could live eternally. We thank you for the gift of meal celebrated together in community. And we thank you that you remain for us a God who shows up, Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Reminder that God is with us wherever we go. He is our peace. He is our love. So we come to the meal today to receive his grace and goodness, not just to be reminded, but to know that he is with us always. Today, as we prepare to receive communion, there are two stations up front that you can line up to receive your element that is contained individually. And we're going to do it a little bit different today. As you make your way back to your seat, you can spend some time in prayer contemplation, or if you want to pray with those around you or in your family, please do so. And then receive communion together. We're not going to wait until the end to receive it all together, but receive it in your seat as we continue to sing, to worship God, to proclaim his goodness. And as a reminder, there are grapes available for any children who have not been instructed in communion yet because they are a sign of God's love and blessing that all are welcome at the table. So hear these words today.
On the night Jesus was to be betrayed, he took the bread, an ordinary element. And after giving thanks, he broke it, saying, This is my body, broken for you. And after the meal, Jesus took the cup and he poured it out in the sight of his friends and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Paul reminds us as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. We receive the promise of God, Emmanuel, with us. Let me pray before we come to receive. Lord, we can only say thank you. We don't deserve this. There's nothing in us that makes us worthy of it. But you welcome us. Ordinary people in our ordinary lives to come and receive your gift of life itself. So thank you. We we humbly come. We joyfully come. In the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Come when you're ready.